This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast, where host Amber Cullum and her guests delve into hard truths and the unwavering grace of God while journeying in the kingdom of God here on earth. Listen every week at graceenoughpodcast.com or on your favorite listening app. What is the biggest threat faced by your country? Any ideas? Now that you've got that in your mind, let me ask you, what would you be willing to do to solve that problem? Well, in the mid-1900s, the United States saw the threat of communism as an imminent threat, one that could destabilize the world. Really, it could. The Soviet Union was huge. Then there was China, North Vietnam, North Korea, Cuba, and on and on, spreading further and further, targeting unstable countries in order to convert them to their economic system. If communism wasn't our number one problem, it was way at the top of the list, and we were willing to do whatever it took to stop it, including inviting some uncomfortable partnerships. You're listening to the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. I'm Chris Starin, and this is a Truce Podcast bonus episode. This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough Podcast. I am its host, Amber Cullum. Each week, I sit down with a guest to discuss hard truths and the unwavering grace of God they've experienced while journeying in God's kingdom here on earth. You'll hear from guests like Jen Wilkin, Jamie Ivey, Andy Crouch, and Scott McKnight. Listen to these conversations and more by searching Grace Enough Podcast on your favorite listening app or by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com. Our guide today is Melanie McAllister. She is professor of American Studies and International Affairs at George Washington University and the author of the excellent book, The Kingdom of God Has No Borders, a global history of evangelicals since 1945. Here is Melanie McAllister. When we're thinking about the apartheid government in South Africa, which really comes into power fully in, in right after World War II and is instituting racially se- racial segregation of the most violent and extreme kind starting in the 1950s. Apartheid meant an all-white government, though white people were the minority in South Africa. It also led to the physical separation of the races, literally putting black people onto reservations, laws against interracial sex. It set aside 80% of the land for whites. White South Africans took people from their land and then sold the land to white farmers. Word about what was happening in South Africa traveled to America 
and our churches. And Americans start paying attention a little bit in the 1960s, especially the mainline liberal churches pay a lot of attention by the early 1960s. Um, Evangelicals really come along later. Protesting the South African government seems simple enough. You know, encourage the government to limit trade with that country until they shape up. But there was a problem. Which is that the white apartheid government in South Africa is a strongly anti-communist government, strongly allied with the United States, and is seen by successive administrations, but certainly the Reagan administration in the 1980s when um, apartheid really comes to a head in the, in the conversation in the United States, the Reagan administration really saw the apartheid government as an ally against the Soviet Union. And it, and it was. And in fact, this is the other reality, which is that the um, African National Congress in particular, which was the leading anti-apartheid um, movement in South Africa, the black-led anti-apartheid movement, is allied with the Soviet Union, that they they are getting money and resources from the Soviet Union. According to Melanie, the anti-apartheid movement sought help from the U.S. and European countries, but was turned down. So they got the help they needed, the money, training, and resources from the Soviet Union. So there is a Cold War contest going on in South Africa and um, that contest plays out, then if you are opposed to apartheid, the, uh, many of the folks in South Africa, many of the folks in the United States will, will paint you as being soft on communism or threatening the uh, war against communism being on the wrong side of the Cold War, essentially. So get ready for this terrible choice. Should the U.S. ally itself with the apartheid government in South Africa to stave off communism or back the anti-apartheid rebels, the African National Congress, or ANC, who were receiving financial assistance from Russia? Churches and denominations were put into a situation where, no matter what, they were backing the wrong movement. By the way, terrible decisions like this happen all the time in history. This plays out in complicated ways. I mean, I talk in the book a little bit about how the World Council of Churches, um, which is very outspoken around anti-racism issues in the 1960s and 1970s, the World Council of Churches um, passes a resolution in 1968 and begins something called the Program to Combat Racism, which is both combating racism in the U.S. and abroad, uh, around the world. I mean, the World Council of Churches is worldwide. So they give money to anti-racist organizations in the U.S., but also in other parts of the world, particularly South Africa. And they start funding, giving grants, small grants to the ANC in the 1960s. This is probably one of the greatest crises of the whole organization of the World Council of Churches, because this leads to a great backlash and a lot of people calling them dupes of communism for supporting the ANC, and of course the ANC was also not a nonviolent organization. They were giving grants to nonviolent components of it, but the ANC was a guerrilla organization, and so um, it was incredibly controversial. With the World Council of Churches backing parts of a guerrilla movement, American evangelicals had a decision of their own to make, including Jerry Falwell, leader of the Moral Majority and founder of Liberty University. 
The Moral Majority, as you may know, was a conservative evangelical movement in the 1980s, largely pro-Ronald Reagan and a loud opponent of gay marriage, abortion, and sex ed in schools. I would love to devote a whole season to the history of the Moral Majority, but one thing at a time. And this is um, how Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson and others who ended up taking positions that were not strongly critical of the South African government. They, were, they didn't say they were in favor of apartheid, but they were opposed to anti-apartheid activism because they said the South African government is our ally against communism and communism is the greatest threat to Christians around the world. And so we don't need to be initiating sanctions or otherwise threatening the South African government. Maybe you noticed how carefully Melanie stated that. Falwell's position was a tightrope. After he made his five-day visit in 1985, he came back in support of the South African government because he said, well, I'll let you hear it in his own words. This is from August 29th, 1985 on C-SPAN. I'll put a link to the whole thing on the website if you want context. My fear is that South Africa while under the repressive policy of apartheid, which must be ended, of course it must. I don't think we have to have apartheid or Marxism. I think that in between, with a reasonable constraint and pressing that government towards reform and the allowance of political activity by all citizens, one day, and I'm thinking two, three, four, five years, there can be a democratic state, the only one on the African continent. Basically, it came down to sticking with the South African government because someday they could be like us, democratic. After he went on a trip in 1985 to South Africa and he came back saying, we need to not only not sanction South Africa, but we need to buy Krugerons. The South African currency. To show our support for the government in their slow move um, to uh, end apartheid, which they were actually in no way ending. They were just trying to stop the anti-apartheid movement. That kind of careful strategy can sound good. Be patient. Wait for the people to do the right thing. Unless you're a non-white person living in South Africa. To them, it seemed like American Christians who were coming in with their high standards of living and segregationist missionaries just didn't care about black people in Africa. We were more concerned about fighting communism than looking after people. Maybe more concerned about communism than our Christian witness. Our desire to export American Christianity to look after American interests impeded our ability to tell people about Jesus. Though Jerry Falwell was one of the loudest voices in public Christianity at the time, he was not the only voice. A lot of people know this story about Falwell and his support for South Africa and his terrible positions on apartheid, but not that many people know how much opposition there was to him among some evangelicals. So there was a meeting um, of the Christian Life Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention just before the Christian Life Commission was disbanded, we have to say, but um, of people who basically had 10 or 12 leading uh, pastors and others there trying to get the Southern Baptist Convention to take a stance of um, withdrawing its pension funds from investments in South Africa. Um, there were people in Christianity Today 
really calling out Falwell for the stuff that he said. They were interviewed and just said he has no business um, speaking about politics in this way. He doesn't speak for me. So it was controversial. And I think this was the kind of thing that interested me, that we know often the story of white evangelicals who took these highly conservative positions around a number of global issues. But what was interesting to me is the thing we know less about, which was how controversial they were among certain segments of the evangelical community and how much people were um, really appalled, especially in the case of South Africa, by some of the stances that people like Falwell and others took. If you get nothing else out of this season, concentrate on this. Tying Christianity to something else, like the United States, can impede missions when people in other countries see how a supposedly Christian nation treats its own people, or foreigners. When we teach the American work ethic as godliness, when we choose the lesser of two evils rather than rejecting evil altogether. Christianity has been about exporting the good news since the beginning, but what else sneaks in with it? Patriotism, conspiracy theories, fear of the other, a standard of living, a anger at those people, our economic models, our racial politics, a lot of the time, we're making that choice without knowing it. Between being right and sharing grace, which is more important to you? Special thanks to Melanie McAllister, her excellent book is The Kingdom of God Has No Borders, a global history of evangelicals since 1945. We barely scratched the surface. It's well worth the read. Truce is a listener-supported show. People like you are helping to fund this project that is asking questions nobody else is asking. If you'd like to be a part of what's happening on Truce, visit trucepodcast.com donate. My goal is to do this show full-time. That would mean more episodes, deeper research, and eventually, God willing, more producers. If you like what you hear, look up my films Bringing Up Bobby and Between the Walls, which are both streaming online, and my novel Cradle Robber. And as always, please rate and review this show in your podcasting app. Thanks for listening. I'm Chris Darren, and this is Truce. 